I almost said something, but then realized what I was about to say was didn't make any sense whatsoever. So even I stumbled over it and was like, no, I better not even say that because I'll lose all my credibility I built up with this podcast <laughs> if I say that one thing. <laughs> Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. And we are the Rewinders Pod. Are you sure about that? I, I don't really know if that's Dan that's hey. here with us today. Oh, that's true. Dan, say something only Dan would know. Wait, 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 wait. Uh-oh. If only Dan would know Uh-oh. it, then how would we know if it's what... <laughs> yeah, how Ken, would we know I don't like where this is going. That it's Ken's Dan. got a point. All right, well, let, and that's the alien that's taken over no. Dan. Or do we all just have horrible, terrible brain clouds? <laughs> are we forgetting who Dan really is? So we're all dying and Dan's going to outlive us? We're all dying. I think so. I don't know if that was how that would work because I'm the diabetic and I have the uh, lesser lifespan. Or maybe diabetes is what's going to keep you alive and all of us are going to die because we don't have the diabetes. I, I think I think science would like to disagree with you. Your positive outlook will keep you alive longer than us. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's in line with today's show because we are rewinding Joe versus the volcano. What did the volcano ever do to you to Joe? It existed. That's fair. I guess. So How dare it. You had to put it in its place sooner or later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I gotta say, back back uh, when I was younger, I heard about this, the name of this movie, and I always thought that Joe was gonna be, uh, you know, romantic comedy. You figure it's gonna be uh, Joe versus a fiery woman who just uh, can't be contained, yada, 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 but it turns out it's actually a literal volcano. I never watched the trailers growing up. I just oh, heard okay. the name of the the thing and the fact that it's uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. You just assume it's romantic comedy. And I really don't know if you can consider this romantic comedy. It's more blood sport, but yeah. What? Have we done blood sport yet? I feel like we should. I've No, because I've never seen blood sport. It's like oh, never Trump's mind. favorite movie. Oh. Anyway. I thought maybe, no, I, mm, <laughs> I thought maybe it was going to be a period piece. God damn it. Ken. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> well, technically, it's a period piece from the '90s. <laughs> you you proud of that one, Ken? Are you? Because I, I I don't know if the other guys got that one. And here's a hindsight, Ken. You. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go over it again. But are you you proud of that one, Ken? Are you? Are you? <laughs> I'm laughing. Uh. Anyway, the 90s were so long ago, it might as well be. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm hearing 90s music in the, uh, in the grocery store now. That's how I know that everyone finally got on board with cool music. You just had to give it 30 years. I was going to say, so yeah, Joe Bush the Volcano. Yeah, does anyone have any history with this movie? Nope. When you guys said that this was going to be a movie, I'm like, wait, is this a joke? This isn't a joke, Dan. This is real, really real life. You're grounded, Dan. Okay. You're grounded. Pack your bags and get out. You know, even though the movie isn't very serious, it still deals with some very serious topics. Yes. Yes, it really does. Like real life. So this is real life and a joke at once. <laughs> so I, t- I, take it, I take it everybody's pretty much in the same boat of not really having, having a history with this film. Correct. I told you about my history. It's, you know, watching... Mm-hmm. Or not watching it because I thought it was just a uh, fiery woman and a <laughs> uh, boring fella. And that didn't sound interesting to me. And then uh, somebody's like, mm, no, you have a deep misunderstanding of this movie. <laughs> and so I watched it. And I was like, huh. You never, okay. you never would have thought up natives enjoying orange soda or anything along those lines. Not natives. In your, in your own not, head. Not Definitely natives. Not Avagoda natives. Avagoda, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, they're natives to whatever island that was. Yeah. I, I still, after all these years, I still never learned the island's name. Waponi Woo. What is it? Waponi what? Waponi Woo. Waponi Woo. Waponi Woo. Okay, okay. So, I watched this pretty much when I was younger. My mom loves this movie, and it was kind of a family staple for movie nights, and we, we probably watched about a half a dozen times growing up. I've always loved this movie. 
I know it doesn't get a really good rap. I know it's not the best movie, but I still love it. <laughs> it holds a spot in my heart. And yeah, it's, it's one of those films where every time it hits a new medium, I try to get a copy of it some way, shape, or form. So it's it's one of those movies I try to keep on the shelf. Yeah, I watched it a while ago, and I think it might have been maybe watched it once when it came out and maybe once again when it was being cycled through cable or something like that. And the one thing that always stuck with me in this movie was the office now not so much the actual details of the office what i remembered was the yellow gross light and him being miserable in what my brain told me was a corporate environment it certainly is a corporate environment yes indeed so when i got my current job with the current company I work for, um, it was the first time I had a corporate job. So for uh, almost 35 years of my life, I had no corporate job experience. So when I came in and on my first day, I had a panic attack, <laughs> sort of, because I just was like, oh God, oh God. Right, oh God. you see the little cubicle and those what harsh ass lights. <laughs> exactly. And it, it just, this movie always, that, that played into the whole, like, fear of working in corporate structure. There's a lot of that. It, it feels like you're making the wrong choice. Like, you grow up watching movies like this and, like, Office Space telling you not to go into an office job, and then here we are. Yeah. It's not that bad. It's not. <laughs> it could be, depending where you work. But anyway, that's just the thing that has sat with me the most and relates to this movie. So no goofy stories from when I was a kid watching this, because I don't really remember. It was fun. That's the one thing I'll say, is that there were tons of moments in this movie that I'm just like, that's right, that's where this was from. It's from this movie, just constantly. I wish I had something to add, but I don't, because I didn't even know this movie existed till you know, a few days ago. That's okay. I'm sure there's lots of movies out there that I don't know exist either. This is definitely a good one to find. Spoilers for the end. So, if you have not seen Joe versus the Volcano, the quickest summation of the movie is, man, works at a corporate job, is super depressed, is told that he is dying, and is offered to finish off his life by jumping in a volcano to save an island so that some uber-rich guy can get precious metals from the island and everyone will be happy and he will still be dead and when he jumps into the volcano it doesn't exactly go as planned and there's also some really kick-ass steamer trunks honestly that's the only thing i remember about this movie the first time i watched it dancing on the uh steamer trunk so going back and watching it again i was like oh all right okay i guess this happened and i know i paid attention this was i watched it before cell phones were <laughs> too crazy so, what are the things that you guys enjoy about this film? Soundtrack. Yeah. This movie has a great soundtrack. And I actually went back and started listening to a lot of the music on my own while cooking the next night. Because it's just got a lot of good music. Okay, 16 tons right out the gate. So that's the first song that you really hear when, when the song when the movie uh, kicks off. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Blue Moon. There's Elvis Presley's Blue Moon here. Ray Charles' Old Man River plays. I mean, there's a lot of damn good songs in here, but I don't know. Del Vikings, Come Go With Me. There's some damn good songs in this movie. I mean, it's... it's I, I don't know. It's it's one of my favorite parts of it. I, I When I hear Good Love, and I immediately go back to the scene where he's fishing and catches the stupid hammerhead shark puppet. <laughs> like This is one of those films where some of the songs immediately take you back to a point in the film and you immediately remember a spot fondly. So the soundtrack works for me on all levels for this. One of the things I like is... Uh, like. You guys were saying in the beginning, they kind of make you want to feel like this is it's wrong. It's a terrible place to work and that they take away so many things that have color in it and only allow certain colors. So when he's walking in the office, it's all grays and blacks. And then you have the one flower that's allowed to have color, but that it's stomped on. And then inside the office, it's all just yellows and browns. And it's just gross colors. I mean, it's literally so gross you have a man shooting petroleum jelly into a tub. <laughs> <laughs> and the character wants to introduce something good in his life. And he puts up a lamp with so many colors, bright blues, bright yellows. And he is immediately told, get that off your desk. And it's just perfect symbolism. It also plays a jaunty tune. It, it does. It, it plays a song that's 
uh, prevalent throughout the rest of the film. That song is in different spots throughout the film. So it's kind of like a little bit of foreshadowing of things to come. Oh. Plus, as you probably said, I think you said, the uh, volcano on the, on the lampshade and everything else. So yeah, it's this movie is, from what I've seen, an expert at foreshadowing because so many things happen throughout the entire film that directly call out something that's about to happen later on. I mean, if you're watching for things in this film, it's just nonstop. And Dan, I know the lightning bolt symbol, that drove you crazy because yeah, it's, it's almost everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I okay. Let's let's don't everywhere. get me wrong. I I didn't hate that. I loved it because it. I every time that I'd see it, it would take me out of the movie and be like, oh, this is from back in the beginning of the movie. And they never, they never. Exp- I think the thing that bothers me is they they don't ever really explain the what's the word I want to use. Um, symbolism. They don't really ever explain the symbol at all. It's just it was just an it was just a, a what appeared to be a logo, but is something that is deeply ingrained in. Mr. Baker, is that his last name? Tom Hanks' character? Banks. 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 Joe Two Banks. Banks. Yep. Right. You were thinking Joe Don Baker. <laughs> and it's never explained. It's just there. It's, it's, it is prevalent across the entire movie. There is a point where he says something, and I think they're alluding to that symbol, is that um, the Joe character says that I just feel like I'm wandering all over the place and not going anywhere. Something to that effect and that's kind of like how that line is. It just zigzags across all the place before, you know, it's a symbol, so it has to have a start and end point. But it just, it's not a straight line. It's just jagged and going everywhere except to where it needs to go. So I thought that maybe that's most likely what that... More of a, a, a meta explanation than an in, in-movie... More of a meandering path versus a lightning bolt, even though it kind of looks like a lightning bolt. Yeah, and I I wonder, well, it actually was a lightning bolt in one scene, and that's kind of where I'm trying to think right now, is if we take a look back and try to pinpoint the scenes in which it was present in, I I instantly thought, is it only present when, like, a big life change is coming his way, almost like it's a bolt of lightning, or a different, or like a jagged path, like, kind of showcasing the fact that he's about to go on a different path in his life, but I don't understand... It would make sense for everything except for the beginning, unless you guys can make a more explanation out of it. No, okay. Here's an explanation I had in my head. I'm bear with me here. Okay, so he starts off at the company. The company's logo is this. Mm-hmm. He goes and sees a doctor. I bet if you look in the doctor's office, you'll see the logo somewhere. Yeah. The doctor says he's got brain cloud, which I did the hand movement because <laughs> I can't say brain cloud without doing that anymore. Uh, for those of you also in the audio medium, maybe we should explain the uh, brain cloud hand motion. It's just waving your head, hand, I think it's back to front over your head, as if you're mm-hmm. pet- petting a mohawk. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, he goes to the doctor, doctor says, you got brain cloud. They meet up then with this rich guy who wants the things. I'm sure you see the uh, symbol in there. Yeah, the cracked it's wall. The cra- yeah, it's the cracked wall in his... In his- Ultimately, everything, what I'm trying to say is everything in this movie is due to the fact that he's doing the bidding of this company. And this is a reminder every time that something happens to him, big, small, is because the company set him on this path. Except it wasn't the company. It was the rich man set him on that path. It was the rich guy's doctor. Does the rich man not own the company? No, he doesn't own the company. You sure? I I don't think he did. No, I think he did. I think not even a little. I think he was the C. Yeah, he said he owned the company. He, he owned. Was, he didn't whatever own whatever it was. But oh. um, well, I missed the that. name of the company. I'm just trying to think. It's a different guy. Something superconductor. Because he does. I mean, he he might does be worth stuff a with superconductors. Yeah. And Vaseline is not a superconductor. Yeah, and, and he worked at an anal probe facility. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the other. Oh, ones. that's right. He works in. That's right. So. Satisfied customers. Satisfied, yes. Constantly going up. <laughs> so you have you have everything up to the journey. So so again, kind of like the first lightning bolt is really at the company, and that's where he, he takes that that change. Lightning bolt as apartment when he's diverging onto another path. Lightning bolt when it strikes the ship and the ship goes down, that sends him on another path. And then there's a lightning bolt going up to the volcano, technically when he's about to get married. So I, I don't know. It, it almost feels like it's it's like symbolism, and it's it's, it's kind of like trying to signify like a change coming his way. But I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's the speculation. Yeah, on like the end. cigarette burns on the old movies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to make sense of it. Damn it! And I took it to mean that when the island sank, it took that symbol down with it because that's the last place we saw it. 
It's also the last place you can get that mineral, apparently. Boomer, boomer, something. Bangarang? The material that the rich guy needed. Oh, it's, um... Unobtainium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, uh... uh yeah, boobaroo. Boobaroo. You're right, boobaroo. Instead of, you know, using a, an actual superconductive material. Why? When you can use boobaroo. I mean, I guess if you got a movie where the, the island natives all are addicted to orange soda. And they're just a bunch of white people, for the most part. Shh. That's not true. They're all Southern Pacific natives. There may be some token natives. It'll be okay. We have enough. There's one or two. <laughs> Just note that's not okay. I do like the end of the movie. He goes to jump in the volcano. They get married, which is weird, but they get married, and then they both jump into the volcano. The end. I like that he followed through with it. I mean, it doesn't help that he probably didn't want to jump in the volcano at that point, and that's why the volcano rejected him and shot him back into the ocean. However, it was fun that he tried. And I'll, it, I don't often say this, but I don't care that in reality, a volcano spitting them back out is, and, and them being totally fine, totally utter nonsense, because that would have been a hot airflow that would have cooked them plus they would have had every bone in their body shatter instantly <laughs> from the fall packed on into the ocean yeah but honestly that happening at the end of this movie was way less jarring than blades of glory with them flying away with their uh, rocket skates it at least fit in with the oeuvre of the movie i like that you use that word ken it makes me it makes my my heart tingle just a little bit it's not the first time no it's not but i like that he uses it <laughs> i like that word it's a fun word it's a good, it's a good I word. take the French out of it, though. It's too disgusting in French. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of phlegm noises. No, no, you just you <laughs> pronounce it in the back of your throat, and it sounds like you're hawking a loogie at one point. It's uh, French is a it's the language of love. <laughs> <laughs> I liked all of Meg Ryan's characters. Yes, specifically the first one. Oh, for sure. The first one was my favorite character of hers. I would disagree. I really did not like Angelica Graymore. She she made me angry. On the the middle the middle Med Ryan the, yeah. the redhead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Dan, tell us why does the the middle one make you so angry? It reminded me of my first relationship, and we're not going to go into that. That's where it's going to stay. Okay. Seriously, so saying she is a realistic character. No, not at all. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> nah, I thought Meg Ryan did a really good job making each character different mm -hmm. uh they did a good job making them look different sound different and they held themselves differently between each character yeah so it was good and you could tell she was having fun with it she really showed her chops in this i didn't realize it till we got to the granamore twin or not twins the granamore girls meeting each other on the on the pier the first uh meg ryan character didn't it didn't re like my brain didn't recognize it that it was meg I just thought it was another actress. So you're on first terms with, first term names with Mrs. Ryan? Okay. I was trying to keep things quick. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, I hear you. Out of, out of all the scenes with Meg Ryan, that was possibly the most, I'd say, rough. Because it just was cutting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know what I mean? The movie came out in the, what? 1990. The tech wasn't really there to be able to do like a a true shared screen experience with one actress what you would have to do is lock your camera down shoot the scene twice and have them not cross paths you just have to go screen. back to the original you, parent trap where they did that yeah the tech was there to put them on screen at the same time it just i don't think it was the budget 25 million yeah i'll, I'll just leave it at meh whatever I don't know. I thought that that was a fun scene, especially since you already knew that they're both the same actress, at least most people. Yeah. That it definitely added to the weirdness and uh, funniness of the movie. It wasn't, it didn't feel like it was supposed to be like a true heartfelt moment. It felt more like it was supposed to be just a fun uh, lark that they were having. Like, oh, hey, look, they're both having, they're both the same thing. Yay. It was a decent way to transition the movie as well because you have your three parts you got the business you got the uh middle part where he's got his money and getting to the thing and then you got the travel and the volcano which i guess maybe four parts and the travel split into two different <laughs> it's a three-act movie damn it there's a lot of travel though 
It feels a lot longer to me than uh, hour and 42 minutes, which was the runtime. Well, probably with also remember that we, we did manage to yeah, screw up the... our, our playthrough and took like 45 <laughs> minutes to get it oh, fixed. Right. But that's not the, the part that Rudd felt long. Search. It was definitely not Paul Rudd. Paul you never Rudd go for a Paul Rudd search. Movie, and that was my fault. <laughs> don't pass up a Paul Rudd search. You don't want to miss out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it. Oh, yeah. But the part in this movie that felt the longest to me was when they were on the steamer trunks and he's doing his steamer trunk dance and uh, existing and not drinking the water and it's Perrier. It made sense that they kind of had to do that just because it was two weeks and you want to be like, feel that he was. He wanted to feel that that passage of time. Yeah. Where he's just alone trying not to go crazy. Although five days floating on steamer trunks within range of a radio signal. He also didn't. He didn't have a volleyball. That's the problem. Oh, yeah. He did have a Meg Ryan, though. At that point, she was just as responsive. If not more, she was drinking the water. A cap full a day, it seemed like. At least he didn't, like, put red paint all over her face. Or, you know, you... They she, cut he, that for time. I, I like to imagine him going delirious from not drinking water, and, you know, he starts smearing scat all over the fucking steamer trunks and smeared it all over the faces <laughs> and everything. She wakes up to that horrible monstrosity. At least he had the courtesy to poop off the side. I always assumed he went into the uh, the cup of the, the golf set. <laughs> and then it was blown off the thing, so it was, it's good. He didn't have a lot to eat, so he probably was fine in that category. If you're not eating something, you're not necessarily making it. I mean, it is largely blood, but anyways. It, uh... I enjoy the limo driver greatly in this yes, film. Yes, he's a great man. He's great. He's not like a huge player in the overall movie, but he comes in as the sane, wise voice of reason and intellect in the film to encourage, help, and uplift. I, I could tell you, I would not, if I was given access to that that kind of money with no repercussions... I don't know if I would buy four steamer trunks. I was going to say Games Workshop would probably want to stand out notice. And There's not enough time <laughs> in his life to be able to paint enough Warhammer. Wait, no, I guess that would be like two or three sets. Plenty of yeah. time to paint those. All those credit cards would be able to afford one or two sets. That's about it. More or less. <laughs> it hurts. This truth. It hurts so much. <laughs> and even then, all you'll be able to find, with all that access and all that money, all you'd find is Space Marines. You you, you think you're making a joke. Ugh. Have you looked at the stock on the website lately? <laughs> it's, I have it's not. bad. It's bad, Ken. I imagine people had a lot of time to partake in hobbies recently, and you'd think that companies would have stepped up and printed more stuff, but... You mean like Pokemon cards? Uh, is there a demand for Pokemon cards? It's insane. Oh, good lord. Wait, are you saying it's finally time to dust off my old 151 uh, binder? You might, you might be able to make some good money. If the cards are if the cards it. are in good condition, they're in immaculate condition. I put them in a binder and never touched them again. They can turn them into superconductors. No, that's only the holographic first editions that'll be superconductor material. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get that holo Charmander out there. Yep. Like every five six years, I, I see some sort of post talking about holographic first edition Charizard being worth a shit ton of money, and I get all excited, run to my binder, and realize I only have a first or a holographic, not a first edition. And every five years, I get sad. Uh, but Joe did not have any Pokemon cards in his steamer trunks. Fuck no, I didn't. <laughs> Bunch of children. Gah. Get off our playground, old man. But you know, all those impulsive, uh, all those impulsive purchases, they really paid off. The booze violin. Yeah. The steamer trunks. Yes. I don't know if we saw him purchase anything Plus, else. Plus, I love the booze violin. Well, it's a violin case. The golf set. I wouldn't mind having a booze violin myself. I don't travel and drink enough, but it'd be kind of a cool piece to have in my tiny house. You have to make sure that the case came with like a set of extendable legs. <laughs> so you have like an actual bar to stand at. One last thing I'm going to say about what I like about this film is that you have Joe and all the iterations of Meg Ryan and they're all, we'll say that they are the uh, main characters of the film. They all share basically the same major character traits. It's just how they express them is different. So they're all characters that are A, missing something in their lives. Aren't we all? B, they're searching for something in their lives. Aren't we all? And C, they're all lonely. It's just that they express those conditions 
exists differently between each other. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a universal feeling that those three things usually, or at least the first two. All right. Does anyone have anything that they don't like about this film? Who okayed the building designs? I know it's supposed to be like a like squalid building that Joe's first, like his, I, uh, oh, I just, why? Why? You mean the crazy factory? The anal probe factory? Do you think that design makes uh, capitalist pig dogs uh, think it's okay to treat your employees like that? Like, that's how movies are being portrayed. That's, I mean, that's what we should be having, right? Or maybe that's what you need when you make anal probes. Maybe that's what anal probe factories look like and we just don't know it. I, I hesitate to say it, making the parallels here, but they really made it look like how they make concentration camps look like in movies. It almost felt... I guess you could call it a work camp if you want, just to sanitize it a little bit. However, it's really a big jump to, even in a farcical movie, to say that he works in a work camp type situation. It might be taking a step over the line that might have been too far, although early 90s, who knows? It was different times, but I do like that everyone took the path all the way. Nobody cut the corners because nobody wanted to arrive to work earlier. They wanted to take as much time on that path as possible. That's a very good point. Or they didn't want to break any rules, so they had to stay on the path. Fair. That's fair. I wonder if there's a sign in the factory that's not just satisfied customers, but days without satisfied customers. That would be zero. You mean it was 727,449? 148? Wow, Dan. I wrote it down. Details, you got them. <laughs> I didn't know. If, I didn't know. <laughs> it was, yeah, I'm just like, oh, this might be important. I'm going to remember for later. And then it, it ended up not being, which is my life. It was early. Taking notes was easy at that point. Now, you say that that might have gone over, like it might have been too much. My interpretation is is that it was just fine. The problem lied and they gave up on that aesthetic. So you have the first part of the movie that has that, we'll say, weird aesthetic that pulls you out of reality. But then when he's given his card and like freebie money to spend, he goes to downtown and downtown is just normal. It's fancy dancy. It's all the colors are normal. All the people are normal. There's no problems there. So now we're thrown into from a, what I'll say, like I said, a weird movie into a normal movie. And then we go from normal movie, they go to the island. Now we're in another weird non-reality situation again. Dancing within his sanity. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm like, it's they just keep shifting the reality and it's like is that what they wanted to do or i don't know because it kind of like throws things off a little bit and maybe that's intentional we could also be overanalyzing this never never all right it's certainly intentional no this is the 90s back when they're trying to figure out how to do movies artsy like i definitely get the feeling that this movie was trying to do artsy things on top of being uh i don't want to call it a farce but something like that what's the right word joe I was just saying weird as an explanation, so I don't have good words either. I, I think that's okay. That's honestly the biggest reason why this movie flopped. It was set up and marketed as being a romantic comedy, so people walked into it thinking this is going to be a full-on romantic comedy like they've seen before. But it's very philosophical. <laughs> it's weird, and it's quirky, and it's, it's kind of dark. So it's not what people expected to see. I have a hard time thinking that this movie is a romantic comedy. People are able to probably accept the ending as it is because Meg Ryan was in the entire movie just as three different characters. Yeah. However, for people who don't do well with faces and don't remember what people look like, let me tell you a story about my childhood at one point. I grew up watching a lot of PBS and uh, specifically I'm going to say Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. One day after watching... Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for quite a long time, he popped up on the TV and I said, is that the same man that has always been Mr. Rogers? Because I did not recognize him at all. And so when you start the movie with Meg Ryan, I'm like, oh, that's a person. I said somebody else's 
I said like three or four different names before I was like, oh, wait, that's Meg Ryan. That's right. She's in this movie. So now take it from a person who doesn't necessarily recognize faces the best. Once you get to the ending, it's kind of jarring because they had just met and she was unconscious almost the entire time they knew each other. I was thinking that, yeah. That's not typical romantic comedy fare. Since she's in the entire movie, people are able to make the jump that it's okay because we've seen her this entire time. Yeah, uh, It's kind of like Big Fish where Helena Bonham Carter is the same character in different, a whole bunch of different areas. And at the end of the movie, she says to your dad, there's only two people, your mom and every other woman. And that was amazing. I love that movie. I also didn't catch it was Hannah Bottom Carter until watching it like the fourth or fifth time. And she's my favorite. I did think that the last Meg Ryan character moved really fast in that relationship. Oh, yeah. Storm smooching on the deck and then knocked out. And, and then, then married. married. And then married, yeah. But I mean, yeah. they were only going to be married for 20 seconds. That's true. It was possibly a last-ditch effort to uh, keep him from killing himself. So if I learned anything from movies... I learned from the movie Speed that relationships made under duress are not good relationships. <laughs> Thank you, Keanu Reeves. And Speed into Wait, Speed 2. You, I was going to say, did you learn that in Speed or Speed 2 when she doesn't come back? Speed, speed 2, two. because two. Sandra Bullock did not come back. <laughs> Cruise control. No, you, you, have it around, you have the opposite way. She did come back. Keanu Reeves didn't come back. Sandra what? Bullock was what? in Speed 2. Oh. <laughs> I didn't watch Speed 2. She's on a boat, and then she meets someone else. Oh, <laughs> uh, who, who is the lead of that one? Eddie Murphy. Jason Bateman. Patrick? The bad guy in James Bond. It, ha- it has Willem oh. Dafoe. Uh, oh, jeez. My God. <laughs> the yeah, front? the one picture of Willem Dafoe is... Yeah, you've seen, you've seen that picture in memes. That is that is from Speed 2. Oh, God. Holy crap. <laughs> Jason Patrick it's looks phenomenal. like he should have been in American Psycho. He just has he that does. cut of the jaw. It's hit to be square. Anyway, so we're getting off. I, I guess. I guess. How much do you guys know about the director of this film? I know nothing. John Patrick Shanley. According according to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, he's somebody I should know, but I don't. Well, I think it's interesting that one of you said Moonstruck. I think it was maybe Ken when we were watching the film. No, nah, it was me because we were talking about big moons. Well, it's funny because he actually wrote Moonstruck, so he he's he's really well known for having really good screenwriter credits. I mean, he, he, he did Moonstruck, he did uh, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, he did Doubt. Congo. Robot in the Family? What is this? Robot Family? We're Back, A Dinosaur's Story. The We're Back animated film from the 90s? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, no, he... ninety three. He did a lot of... And it seems like every time he gets a director's chair, it's an interesting movie that goes under the radar. <laughs> like, you have him with four movie credits for the screenwriter, the first directing credit being the fourth, Joe vs. the Volcano. And then afterwards, 15 years go by and he doesn't really get another shot. He's also credited as a writer on Joe vs. the Volcano. Yeah, he wrote Joe vs. the Volcano and directed it. He also wrote We're Back, but he didn't direct it. He wrote Congo, but didn't direct Congo. But then he wrote and directed Doubt, which was a pretty critical success from what i remember so yeah it's it's an interesting the career stage play the stage play and the movie yeah so he's kind of got an interesting career you know, knowing all this stuff i am extra interested now in this movie robot in the family <laughs> because there's another graphic that says a robot called gold digger holy crap i need to see this movie. oh my god robot in the family it's not on i thought you were just saying something family. throwaway i didn't know this was actually a movie and now <laughs> oh my god no. oh my god this is goddamn amazing <laughs> some assembly required that's that's the tagline that makes dan stay up at night <laughs> holy shit what the hell am i looking at oh, this is a Jesus deviation worth Christ. deviating for. it has john reese davies Salah from Indiana Jones? He's in this movie. 1.6 out of 10. That's great. Why do I want to oh add God. this one to my list? Oh, man. I know. Oh, it's got oh that Joe God. guy in it. All right, that's a different Joe. But Joe Pantaleone. In March of 2020, members of Red Letter Media described the film as nonsensical and madness. Red Letter Media... Rich Evans referred to the film as having short-circuited his brain every five seconds, and fellow members Jay Bauman and Mike Stoklaza respectfully called it a cacophony of noise and the antithesis of sense and logic. Part of me really wants to see this movie. I love those guys. I need to look up this review. (laughs) God damn, I want to watch this movie. 
Anyway, 1994. Sorry. It's 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 there, but not quite okay. there in our scope. Anyways, back to back to Joe versus the volcano. After we finished watching the movie, I I, I popped on the red uh, Rotten Tomatoes to see how it reviewed, and it's not it's not great. No, but it's it's not awful. Yeah, it's it's one of those very middling movies. It's it, you have your default followers who love the movie, and then you have people who just don't give a shit about it. It's, it is. it's very middling. And to prove it, I found. In the comments on the, like their the like audience reviews, there's this one: Joe versus the volcano is the movie time the movie time and box offices forgot. It is Hanks and Ryan's first movie pairing, backed by a great screenplay from Oscar-winning John Patrick Shaney. The story is a bittersweet, bittersweet, bittersweet pill. There's a lot of hyphens in that bitter and sweet <laughs> that is so easy to swallow you forget the serious life lesson in it. The story may seem saccharine at first blush. But pay attention, or watch it again, and a lot of symbolism and meaning surfaces. Joe versus the volcano tries ties together the sweet story or three, or a sweet love story or three, an important li- lesson on life, and some wonderful visuals, and and likely the best compilation of soundtracks of its time. There are a few movies that I could say this about. You are a better person for seeing it. And immediately after that, this movie is shit. Don't waste your time. Two separate comments. Yeah, like I said, it's very middling. People hate it or they love it. It's very strange. I think that people who hate this movie want themselves a good romantic comedy or just hate romantic comedies and uh, can't see a movie going down billing itself kind of as a romantic comedy but side-skirting all the tropes and stuff as it being a shit movie. Mind you, I could see kind of where they're coming from. It is definitely a movie that you have to be prepared to watch. No, you, you need to, to go into this movie knowing absolutely nothing. No, fuck those people. This is a great movie. Don't go in there with expectations of it being a romantic comedy. Enjoy it. Sit down and enjoy the ride because that's what's going to be. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to skip to the end. Well, no, I, I, I definitely think the problem was is in the 80s, you didn't really have anything nonsensical and weird and... I mean, this is chopping mall in this vein, in this vein, you hear that Meg Ryan and Tom Cruise are being, or starring in a romantic comedy. You're thinking <laughs> it's just a cut and dried romantic comedy where it's going to be something grounded Tom or Tom Cruise. Sorry, Tom Hanks, not Tom Cruise. <laughs> you, you'd expect it to be grounded in reality. I mean, that's the kind of movie that people were expecting. Most likely when this came out is going to be some grounded reality, simple to understand, cut and dry to the basics romantic comedy between two characters who fall in love and happily ever after all that bullshit whereas this was more so an action adventure kind of comedy romantic comedy i I don't know how to really describe this it delves into a lot of different themes that people just honestly probably weren't expecting when they went to go sit down they thought they're just going to shut their brains off watch two people fall in love on screen and then go home and, and sigh and remember it fondly. Sure. Whereas this made them actually think about things that they don't think about. Or didn't want to think about. Yeah, I was going to say, the year before when Harry Met Sally came out, and that also makes you think, and kind of, but it doesn't have the same dark humor. And if you go from when Harry Met Sally and you expect the same kind of movie going into Joe vs. the Volcano, you're going to be Harry Met Sally came out after this. on a trip for sure. Uh, not according to IMDb. Harry Met Sally came out in 89. Well, why are they saying that this is Ryan and Hanks' first pairing together? Yes, that's Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. Oh, right. Never mind, never mind. And the people going to see this movie would have been going possibly because of Meg Ryan. I don't know about Tom Hanks. I don't know what kind of clout he had in 1990. He had that Turner and Hooch clout. He had good clout at that time. I'd say probably, yeah, Turner and Hooch. I like that movie. I just rewatched it a couple months ago. It's good. It still holds up. The word finally fell out of my brain is absurdism. There we go. Perfect. That is what the U.S. audience doesn't really latch onto. Absurdism works in a lot of European films, like Terry Gilliam. His movies are yes, absurd. they are. I saw Brazil for the first time a few few years ago, and <laughs> I didn't know what to think of it as I was watching it. It it, it really oh, swallowed but me it's whole. So good. It is a great movie. It just. It was not what I expected. And I, very fish out of water. I'm assuming exactly how people felt watching this. It's just like, what the fuck did I just sit down to view? And in my opinion, they didn't go far enough into absurdism. Yes, agreed. In it's, like, it's like they basically had a they, nice balance. They wanted to do that it. Or they were too scared to do it, yeah. thinking that the American audience wouldn't enjoy it. I'm going to guess that producers pulled them back a little bit. Probably, on that. probably. I mean, we did have an anthropomorphic shark 
puppet. It wasn't really anthropomorphic. I think it was just supposed to be a shark. Now, if it came out with a monocle and a top hat, it was like, Tut, tut, I do say, why are you pulling me out of the ocean, sir? (laughs) Then I'd be like, yeah, that's an anthropomorphic shark. How do you know he didn't say that, Justin Shark? Justin Shark? Now he has a name? Yeah, it's Justin Shark. Uh, he, I, I, oh my. If you watched it with the subtitles, I'm just kidding, <laughs> I have no idea. To wrap up the things that I kind of didn't like is the feeling I get when I watch the final few scenes of the Waponies on Waponi Woo because we're, we go down that route of representation of Pacific Islander cultures. They do call out that they are Celtic. Like, in in movie, like, it's explained that they're not fully Pacific Islanders. They're not even, no, I wouldn't say they're not fully, they're not even remotely fully Pacific Islanders. They are remarkably white. Yeah, even though they're people from other places plopped down there, it's basically still using this white version of what they made believe the culture of Pacific Islanders were as a joke. They like orange soda. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's funny stuff in there of, you know, they love orange soda and because of orange soda, they won't jump into the volcano. That's still kind of funny. It's just, though, you are depending on making fun of elements of someone's culture to be funny. Exactly. Which... It's always low-hanging fruit and not respectful in any way, shape, or form. Good humor comes from things that are honestly funny. If you have to make someone the butt of a joke, that's not funny. And in a movie called Joe vs. Volcano, you have to have a volcano that's going to sink into the ocean because it's got to be an island because you can't sink the entirety of the United States. Um, well, well, I'd also argue that you need a Joe in Joe vs. the Volcano. Do they not have they a did. Joe? I don't know. Was there a Joe in this movie? According to Ken, there was a Joe Don oh, Baker. Okay. What? What? What did I say? <laughs> what was it? What was his name? Joe Baker. Joe Baker. Yeah. Come on. Oh no, it was Banks. Dad. Joe Banks. Right. I <laughs> we, screwed it up. Joe Banks. It's right. not Baker. Banks. Joe Banks. We've been through this before. This is why I'm so confused. <laughs> you got us cycling on it. All right. So has anyone's opinion of this movie changed from the the times they've watched it before to when they're watching it now? Can I can I can I just uh ask, pose a question? Yes. Which is absurdist in itself. Yes. Um so we have a group of Abe Vagodas <laughs> on an island <laughs> that they need to toss somebody in every 100 years otherwise the uh island sinks into the ocean. They were not native to the island, so they had to have been there for at least 100 years. How the hell did they find out about this tradition? You'd think the first time they didn't find out about the tradition, the island would be gone. That's a valid point. Maybe I'm just being nitpicky. I think that just falls into absurdity. Yeah. And it's that kind of thinking that you need to throw at the door when you watch this amazing movie. (laughs) For me, when I originally watched this movie, um, I don't have a lot of memories from it other than, like I said, the, the basement office with the yellow light. And I expected myself to be much more into this movie than I was when I watched it this time around. I... I think if it was more absurd from beginning to end, I would have been way more on board with it. But it it just feels like it drops the absurdity for a while and it just becomes a movie of Tom Hanks shopping. <laughs> and then it's like, I don't care about Tom Hanks shopping right now. you know. And then I, I just get lost in that section of the movie because I don't care. Okay, so... In this movie, you find that specific scene. You got the uh, the driver being the voice of reason to Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. not asking like anything about his life, not at anything like that. He just says, "You have a question. I will give you my answer." At the end of what he's doing, he he says to Tom Hanks, "It's taken me my entire life to figure out who I am, and I'm tired." That resonated so hard with me. However, it also goes into just showing that like joe needs to figure out himself who he is and yeah so it's it's kind of necessary to keep pushing joe into uh okay this is up to me i can't rely on buying stuff i don't know maybe i'm 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 fishing for hammerheads no i i agree with what you're saying it's just it's a kind of a boring part of the movie compared to other parts sure 
I just really like that line. I pulled it out, wrote it. I wrote that down. That man walked the squiggly path for too long before he found his answer. <laughs> and that's how he got them nice legs. Yeah. What? And it took Joe to get ejected out of a volcano before he found his. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I honestly thinking, well, thinking about it, I think I like a very small margin of me liked the movie less this viewing. I don't know. It's it's one of, I think the nostalgia plays heavy on this one for me because I grew up with it. Uh, going back and watching it again, I agree that it, it needed to pick a camp and stay in it. It needed to go full-on absurdity or it needed to stay within the realms of reality. And the weird brief skirting moments where it actually does cross the line and then goes right back to just being normal again, it's jarring almost. Because <laughs> it's just like, wait, are we just going to ignore that thing that just happened? I, okay, I guess so. We're moving on to the next thing. So, I don't know. I, I still love the movie. I still think it's fantastic. I just, I, I still think it's an underrated gem. I think that it was shit, shit on pretty harshly. But at the same point, I don't think it's as amazing as I originally thought it was. And I don't think it, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put it in my special safety case and, and protect the world from it anymore, <laughs> I guess. I, I'd open it up for some <laughs> criticism, that's for sure. Well, seeing as I had never seen it at all, I feel like this is one of those movies where you're good seeing it once and then never coming back to it. Unless you want to figure out what that squiggly pass is about. It's just a movie that you would take your girlfriend or significant other out on a, for like a just a, a a one-off like hey, let's go let's go see a movie. There's no this this movie has no consequence. I I think it's a a movie that could open you up to the other directors that do absurd films if you are interested in that part of the movie you'd probably be interested like i said in terry gilliam's work or um i can't think of uh too many other ones um jean-pierre Jeunet does some good absurdity stuff all right joe let's let's have let's have a a little bit of a discussion here about this absurdity so have you ever watched a horror movie yes yeah we watched one just on this podcast uh (laughs) so in horror movies, you don't have 100% horror 100% of the time because you just get tired. If you're continually sure. running, you're continually aware, you just get tired. It's the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. You got to back off, set a baseline, get people back to normal, and then you can ramp it back up again. Could you say that perhaps what was happening in this movie was... Just backing the absurdity off a little bit to allow you to have baseline so you can uh, get back to the absurdity of uh, the boats and all that fun stuff. And he's just t- giving you a little bit of a break. I would allow that if the environments did not shift so sharply. <laughs> so at the beginning of the movie, we have the crazy factory. Way out of we place. Have everyone wearing gray car- uh, clothing. We have Joe's apartment which is uh the walls are being torn apart in very specific ways um we don't see much of his apartment though so we don't get to really judge (laughs) that very much but when he goes into downtown new york there is absolutely nothing than downtown new york that's downtown new york and we could be talking 25 million dollar budget but what kind of absurdist thing you're gonna you're gonna start toppling some of the buildings halfway to give it a little bit more of a uh, angular you're gonna give me uh some weird outside building things in new york to make it a little bit more absurd have you watched german impressionistic films i have i'm just being i'm, I'm being devil's advocate at this point <laughs> it can you be know, done i think a good comparison for me on 25 million I'm, I'm just i'm reaching at this point but i think a good comparison for me of just the difference between these two films you have joe versus the volcano which didn't fully commit it didn't dip both feet in the water being just absurd and surreal in comparison to, I'm, I'm pulling another one out of the hat, being John Malkovich. That is a batshit crazy movie from the start to finish. Yep. And it's it's totally kind of the same. It's just, it's philosophical in a way. It makes you think about a lot of things. It's 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 dark humor throughout the entire thing. It's there, There's a lot going on and a lot to unpack in that film. But that is a difference. I mean, you, you can see between the two, being John Malkovich was successful. This one was not. The, the difference in one being a romantic comedy and this one not really being a romantic comedy is obviously different, but I almost feel like had they not marketed Joe vs. the Volcano as a romantic comedy and just marketed it as something else, kind of like being John Malkovich, just like a weird, dark comedy, it would have been fine. And now another s- slightly absurd movie, 
Uh, let's go with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I love that yeah. movie. It was one of my favorites. However, it takes it takes all of my effort to get to the end of that movie just because it is so absurd and hard to follow. I just feel exhausted so quickly. <laughs> That's what I was trying to get at before. Yeah, that... sure, sure. I will say that possibly labeling this a romantic comedy is the death knell <laughs> yep. because Brazil was pitched to the American audience as a romance film. You're kidding me. Are you serious? <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> the cut where they made it for the U.S. audience, which is he, in reality, hitches up with his lady friend and they get away. Uh, I'm... Uh... Not to give anything away about that movie, because you should definitely watch it and experience it in not the U.S. <laughs> version. It's a great movie. That's what I've heard. I was pleasantly surprised, but I want to watch it. Pleasantly surprised. So I feel like this all falls back to this is a movie that we could watch <laughs> once and then never watch again. Pretty much. I mean, I go back to it for nostalgia's sake because I like some of the scenery, but I can't imagine myself really... It, it, this isn't like Jurassic Park for me. This isn't like Ghostbusters. This isn't like, you know, any movie where I, I, I want to go back and view it because I feel like so much of my DNA is built up because of the film. There are strands of my DNA that are absolutely within Joe vs. the Volcano and come from that film specifically, but I wouldn't say it, it makes up even even a noticeable majority of who I am. It's just the nostalgia plays heavy on this one for me. There we go. Nostalgia heavy on this one. Oh, it feels weird saying that. I haven't said that in a long time. If ever. <laughs> it's a- I know. It's a nostalgia movie. We're just so quick to, to love all I the know. movies. But it's also, it's still a fun movie. It is. Yes. And actually, I would probably go back and watch it. Not exactly right now, but maybe five years from now, when I, if I remember the movie this again. Is one of the, this is one of those I'll movies where again. you have to share it with your friends. I, that one time, like, hey guys, I, I just saw this movie. I need you. I, I, I have a serious need to share this with you. We need to watch it. And then just sit and watch your friends experience the movie for the first time. Because it's it's not it's not going to be the same when you watch it again. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, your first time is going to be definitely different from your second time viewing this movie. Yeah, because the second time you're going to be looking for that, uh, that symbolism all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's the crooked paths? So I guess uh, that folds into does it still hold up? And we've all pretty much said it, it can be a you watch it and eh. It might pull you into a genre that you haven't witnessed before, and it might just be a thing that you go, nah. Honestly, if you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, just watch it. It's fun. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it, Joe. This is a great gateway film into surrealism, and it it shouldn't be discounted for that for sure. If anything, it does that purpose, and it does it very well. Well, that was us jumping into the volcano of the film. Joe versus the volcano and it just spit us out and said it wants nothing to do with us and sank into the ocean leaving us to float around on our steamer trunks for the next two weeks before we watch our next film which will be Big Bitch on the Mountain Monty Python (laughs) Life of Brian so come back in two weeks when we will Rewind again. So we just talked about not liking absurdist things, and we're going to be watching the life of Brian. <laughs> we did not say we don't like absurdist things. We said we like absurdist ah, things when they okay. stay in their lane. Yes, <laughs> when they stay in their <laughs> lane. I, love it. I like it when a movie throws a absurd thing in there, and it doesn't matter whether or not it stays in that lane. Don't try to be something you're not. Absurd movie.